We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Turn with me, if you will, where Jared read to Mark chapter 11. While you're turning there, uh, if Curtis doesn't mind, I just want to say I'm very grateful to be a part of a church that uh, this is a very unusual thing. Curtis, as an elder, came and, and spoke about a situation that had to be dealt with publicly now, and, and it's always with the hope of restoration. When there's accusations against our pastor elders, as Curtis said, they have to be dealt with properly and biblically. Uh, I would mention there that, that uh, as Tommy said this morning, this is, this is social media. We are living in a different world than, uh, than we've ever been in before. And we can have sound bites go around the world. And this is not any type of uh, any other type. Your mind might have gone to some kind of uh, sin or something. Uh, a pastor of a church today just can't win. Uh, you can be non-political and there's a whole bunch of people against you because you're not political enough. You can be political uh, to a point and people say, oh, you're just too political. And, and uh, this had to do with that kind of thing that, believe in Tommy, uh, had not uh, been as political as he should have. And uh, he made it clear, and I want to just reinforce that. The church and pastors are, are called by God to speak to the issues we are not politicians and not called to be, but we are to denounce ungodliness. And with a, when a government, a country, or in this case, uh, um, elections or, or people voice opinions, many of those opinions are right and left issues. They are not moral issues that God says, this is right and this is wrong. Many of the decisions you have in your life, you may have opinions about things. Others have different opinions. We need to respect those other opinions. But we are to speak out when it, there is a right and wrong issue. And that is the, the church and pastors are commanded to do, do that. We are before the Lord, uh, before him. So when someone uh, tries to harm the church in some way, the shepherd puts his body and his soul and the elders put themselves in the gap. And so I'm just grateful for Denton Bible and grateful for elders that have stood in the gap for us. How about you? Are you? Yeah. Enough of that. Uh, I pray that that will be in the past. Mark chapter 11. In this passage, this is interesting because Jesus does a miracle. But did you know this is the only miracle of judgment? All the other miracles Jesus did, he healed a blind man, he healed a lame man. He raised people from the dead. He, he did mighty wonders, but this is the only miracle of judgment. In the last uh, week, we saw that he judged a fig tree. He came up to a fig tree and it had leaves on it, uh, but it didn't have any fruit. And that is a picture of something that should have fruit on the vine. It's got leaves, but there's really no fruit. There's no product. There's no purpose being fulfilled. It looks like a vine. It looks like a tree. It looks like a good place to get fruit, but there wasn't any. And Jesus is going to correlate that because it's going to show up again at the end of this passage. They're going to walk by that fig tree again. And he's correlating that with Israel. Israel, you're a people of, supposed to be the people of God. Jesus is going to look into the temple. And it's interesting what he said. He looked around I thought about that. What if he looked, came to our house and looked around? What would he see? Jesus is going to correlate this fig tree that had leaves on it, supposed to be a fruit-bearing, fig-bearing tree, but it didn't bear any fruit with Israel. 
He's going to go in the temple and say, it's supposed to be this, but I found it to be this. Can that apply to a church? Yes. Could it apply to a group of people? Yes. Could it apply to an individual? The title of the message tonight is Authentic. The real deal. Sometimes when I introduce you to people that I know well, uh, I could say that about our brother over here that just spoke a while ago. They're the real deal. These servants right here, I love them. They're very faithful to, to uh, this evening service for many, many years. They're the real deal. And what I mean by that is they're authentic. They're genuine. They don't have an agenda. They're not here for some fame, popularity, or other purpose. They're here to serve Christ. And so we're going to see authentic Christianity in a very brief passage, and then we'll celebrate communion. Have you ever thought why we say celebrate communion? It was the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed and eventually killed, but it has become a celebration for us because of what he's done for us. Isn't that amazing? In this passage, you might remember uh, as we read, Jesus had taught his disciples three different ways that you would know if people were real Christians. One of them is John 8, 33, if they continue in my word. They continue in the Bible. Had some people visit a class that I, I teach early in the morning, and they said, we're visiting because, because we heard Denton Bible teaches the Bible, and we want the Bible. And I said, I hope you don't get anything else. We're not going to take away or add to it. You'll know them if they continue in my word. Secondly, he said, you'll know them if they love. If they have love like I've shown you how to love, you're going to know that they're my disciples when they have love one toward another. The church house ought to be a true church assembly of people with real Christian love. And then thirdly, you'll know them by their fruits. Uh, what does their life produce? The fruits are, what is the product that comes out of their life? If I could call someone up here and put you on the stage and talk about your life, others who know you well could say, well, he's done this or she's done this and God's used her this way and there's fruit that has been born. That's one of the ways Jesus said you can tell real Christians they bear good fruit. Keep that in mind. Jesus is going to, has cursed the fig tree. He is going to act out this parable, a parable of judgment, killing that tree, and he's going to act it out, uh, correlating it with Israel. Uh, John chapter 15, I believe it is. Jesus said, every branch in me that bears fruit, God's going to prune it so that it'll bear more fruit. Your life, not just the preacher or the, the elder or the deacon or the teacher's, your life is called upon by God to, for you to let the Holy Spirit bear fruit through you. Mark eleven fifteen. Then they came to Jerusalem. Remember, you go up to Jerusalem uh, where the temple was. He entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise to the temple and he began to teach and say to them, it's not, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den. Let me talk to you just for a second about this Passover time. This is the second time, by the way, that Jesus purges the temple. 
He, in the beginning of his ministry, uh, cleans house in the household of God. And now at the end of his ministry, he does it again. Animals were brought in there. This is the time of sacrifice. People were gathered from all over the countryside coming back to Jerusalem for the Passover. And they didn't carry animals with them, so people raised animals for this time of the year that hopefully were without blemish. That was part of the sacrifice. They had to be quality animals. And if someone came to Jerusalem needing to make a sacrifice... These people would sell those animals and make a lot of money. It was a big time. Uh, Commentaries often say there was probably over 600,000 people returning to Israel during the week of the Passover. You remember when Jesus and his, his parents came and Jesus stayed behind in the temple when he was 12 years old? Probably 600,000 to a million people. So it was big business. You would have animals for sacrifices. You would have doves for sacrifices for certain other people. These sacrifices also were for not just the Jews. There was an area outside the temple for the Gentiles, the Gentiles portico, and they also would purchase animals for certain rituals. So it was a money-making business if it was done in that manner. And Jesus comes and he sees a place that's supposed to be a place of worship, a place of prayer, a place to honor God and to read the scrolls of the Old Testament. And they're buying and selling. Another aspect of this was there was all different kinds of currency. Those of you who've traveled abroad, you had to turn your American dollars. Now, they're accepted in a lot of places. But if you go to Europe, different places, you might have to get francs. You may have to get euros. Different types of currency. And that was what was going on here, too. So... If I had all different types of currency and you needed the kind I have, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to exchange your money for a price. You give me so much, I'm going to give you the currency that you need, the shekels for the temple. But I'm going to make some money off of you too. Just like you go to an ATM and it charges you for getting something out of it. So it was big business. That's not what God intended. But that's what was happening here. Greek and Roman currency, and there was temple taxes. When Jesus walked into that place, I think it broke his heart. It should have been a place where love was at, where God's word was at, where people were honoring and praising the God of heaven, the creator of the universe. And they turned it into nothing more than a house of merchandise. I'm going to admit something to you here. I've been a Christian for, let's see, how old am I? I'm not going to tell you how old I am. Uh, let's see, 50, 53 years ago I accepted Christ. And as a young man, I had a problem with this passage because I just didn't understand. Jesus taught his disciples, didn't he, to turn the other cheek. Jesus taught a passive response and many, many cases. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. You turn the other cheek if somebody smites you on one. 
And I just thought, how does that happen? I was uh, one of the first ones called to re-sign uh, up uh, for the draft, not in the draft, but to, to register for the draft. I was a 20-year-old when they reinstated that. I asked uh, who would go first if there was a draft, and a, a recruiter said 20-year-olds. I was born in January. I thought I was going to be on the first bus. I mean, the first bus out of town was me. And Jesus said, turn the other cheek. But I knew if I went into the military, I would have to be willing to defend someone. How did that work? Any of you ever, have you got that theologically correct in your mind and you know the ins and outs of that? I just didn't. And I remember praying often with tears in my heart and in my eyes, saying, God, I don't understand. Certainly I would want to protect my family. I would want, if I was a police officer, I want to protect uh, the, the innocent from those who would harm them. Uh, if I signed up in the military, I want to protect my country. But I don't understand how that fits with Jesus who said, turn the other cheek. Jesus lowered his shield. He was deity. He could have just commanded everyone that spoke evil of him to die instantly. In fact, when they came to arrest him, he said, who do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And what happened? They were knocked flat on their back just to let them know he could do anything. He's all powerful. But Jesus lowered his deity. Philippians chapter 2, the kenosis, he emptied himself. He didn't do away with his miraculous power. But when Satan said, command these stones to be made bread, Jesus could have done that, but he didn't do it. You know one of the reasons why? Because he wanted to prove for you and me how to live a godly life in this world. He did it for you and me. But he allowed them to pluck his beard and to beat him and to whip his back and to hurt him. He practiced what he preached, turned the other cheek. But wait a minute, what about this passage? He picks up a whip and he turns over the tables and he knocks the money changers' money. He runs them out of that temple. Jesus, meek and mild, the gentle Savior... I want to share with you something that is Bible. Let's go all the way back to the Old Testament. Uh, David, a man came out one day and David uh, heard him cursing him. The man was throwing stones at David as the king and he cursed him. And David had people around him that were called mighty men. If you've studied that, I believe they were the most fierce uh, warriors that ever lived. One of those was named Benaiah. Uh, I just read that name and I start shaking a little bit because these were fierce warriors. This man is cursing David, throwing stones at him because he's God's king. And Benaiah, one of the mighty men, the warrior, said, Would you like for me to go take his head off him? Now, he said that like I would ask my wife, would, would you like for me to make you a sandwich tonight? It was just a matter of fact. Would you like for me to go and take care of this situation? And if you'll remember, David said, No, let him curse. But when it came time for David's dad to send him to go see how the battle was going with this giant called Goliath, David's three big brothers were there, take him some food, go see how it is. And he heard Goliath mock the Lord God of Israel. I defy the Lord God of Israel. Send a warrior out here to fight and nobody would go out there. David said, who is this Philistine that would defy the God of Israel? And he said, I'll go and fight with him. How does that fit? 
And it wasn't until I was a little bit older that I heard a sermon that just put it all in perspective for me. And if you want to talk about it some other time, I'd be glad to spend time with you. David, when it, when it came time to defend his own reputation, he said, let him curse. He turned the other cheek. He took that abuse. You and I are called to do that also. But when it came time to defend the reputation of God Almighty, David was fearless. And he ran down that mountain toward Goliath. Don't forget that word. And he said, you come to me today with a sword and a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel, and I will take your head off of you today. And he did. Do you see the difference? You and I, when it's about us, there will be times when God says, just take it. Turn the other cheek. But when it's about our, our God, when it's about our church, when it's about others, there's times when God will stand, give us the courage to stand up and say, no. What did Jesus do? He let them hurt him. When it was about Jesus, he turned the other cheek. But when it was about his father's house, the Bible says in the Old Testament, Jesus was fulfilling a verse that said, the zeal of the Lord of hosts has eaten me up. I'm going to put that in language we can all understand. It is Popeye saying, that's all I can stand, and I can't stand no more. He is about to open up a can of spinach because Brutus needs to get stopped. Do you see the difference? There will be many times in our lives you and I are called upon to take abuse, to take suffering. We don't have to defend our own reputation, but when it comes to our God, we're to be valiant. Verse 18, the chief priests and the scribes heard this and they began seeking how to destroy him for they were afraid of him for the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. When the evening came, they would go out of the city. Uh, this is going to show something that is about Israel that Jesus just lived in the temple. Uh, as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree which withered from the roots up. It's interesting that that was the way that it died. It didn't die from where the fruit would be down. It withered from the ground where the roots are up. And that means the total plant was going to be destroyed. It wasn't just like a branch got bad and fell off. Jesus cursed it and it would not be a plant any longer. And Jesus is showing that this is the proof that Israel was not bearing godly fruit. They were not authentic. They went through the motions. Jesus, in, in different Old Testament books, uh, God says to, to Israel, I'm sick of your solemn feasts. You can give all your sacrifices. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. God has no problem finding the counterfeit from the real. You've probably heard that illustration so many times. How does somebody they teach you, I think it was the FBI, how do they teach you to, uh, to, to recognize a counterfeit? You study the real. You study the real. And when you know what the real is, you can identify the one that is fake. And here Jesus is saying, he's using the illustration of the fig tree. You're not authentic. Israel, there's no fruit on the vine. You're going through the motions. You got a house, but nobody's home. 
And it's a parable of judgment that God was going to bring judgment upon Israel because they had forsaken him. Verse 20, as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the fruits up. Being reminded, this is Peter, and it benefits us to be reminded also. Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed is withered. There's old Peter again. (laughs) I want to say, Peter, what would you expect? The creator of the universe said it. Jesus, the God of God, very God, King of kings, Lord of lords, he said it was going to be withered. Why are you surprised that it withered? Maybe Peter just wanted to point it out. Look, Jesus, here's the fig tree that you cursed. And Jesus answering, saying to them, have faith in God. He's just telling the people, believe God, trust God, defend God's reputation. Don't worry about your own. And I want to tell you sometimes in my life and in the ministry, um, I've, I've, had, I've been called to d- turn the other cheek many, many times. But when it was to stand up for a widow in the church, there's just something else happens. And God gives you a courage and a faith to say, no, 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 that's not going to happen here. And that's what Jesus exemplified. Jesus answering to them said, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. All Jesus has asked, all God has asked us to do is to believe him, trust him, love him, respect him, fear, obey, reverence him. Jesus says in verse 30, uh, 24, Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you've received them and they will be granted you. Uh, a lot of people pull that verse out of context and they say, look, we've got a free genie here. All we have to do is say Jesus' name, ask God for anything, believe he's going to give it to us, and he has to do it because he said in his word. God's word is always qualified by God's word. It always fits together. And Jesus teaches us that you've got to pray in his name. That's not using his name. We pray according to his will. We pray like Jesus did. When I was in Jerusalem several years ago, what a, what a, a gracious time to be able to go there. Uh, the man leading the trip said, where would you like to speak? And I said, could I speak in the Garden of Gethsemane? And I remember opening up the scripture that night and, or that day, and I said, I want to share about the only time God told his son, no. Most of you know that we've got a 15-month-old grandson. And he's all boy. He's diving off the chairs and off the couches now. And his mom doesn't know how to do that. And we didn't have children that did that. So uh, he's kind of new. But he's learning the word no. And when you teach a, a little one the word no, it surprises them. Because you've been doing everything they wanted for all of their life so far. And now you're going to tell them no. There's a time when God told Jesus no. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He's talking about the the cup of death. But if the only way it'll pass is I drink it, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus asked the Father, can you take the cross away? Can we do this any other way? Can Can you save people's souls, forgive their sins? Can we just skip Calvary? And God told Jesus, no. That little one, when you tell them no, it breaks their heart. They think you don't love them. 
But they realize very soon you do love them by telling them yes when you can say yes and no when you need to say no. And God told Jesus no. And you know what Jesus did? He agreed with God. When God tells me no, I need to agree and say yes, Lord. Not my will, but your will be done. And that's what we're going to celebrate in just a few moments, communion, where Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus goes on to say, believe what you've asked. You receive them. It'll be granted to you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. That's interesting. By the way, if you're going to be asking God for a lot of things, make sure your heart's right. Have you ever held a grudge before? Uh, one person said, holding a grudge, it, it hurts us more than it hurts the other person. Holding a grudge is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. That's what a grudge is. It really doesn't bother them. But it bothers the person that holds a grudge. And God says here, Jesus says, if you stand praying, by the way, if you're going to ask God for anything, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, this is in brackets because it was in some early manuscripts. It wasn't in some other ones. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions authentic Christianity. Jesus came to the temple and there wasn't any fruit. He came to the fig tree and there wasn't any fruit. And he pronounced judgment upon that. He's coming to churches today. He's coming to people just like you and me. He wants to see fruit. You may be saying, but Mike, I'm not a teacher. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a pastor. I've never been to seminary. I... That, that really is not what I'm talking about at all. You, no matter who you are in your relationship with Christ, Christ wants to live in and through you to share the gospel to others. Some of them are going to come to know Christ, and that's fruit. Your life changed you to be more like Jesus. That blind man said, I don't know who he is, but I know I was blind, and now I see. That ought to be our testimony too. I don't know all there is to know about the Bible, but I'll tell you one thing. I was one way, and by God's grace, I'm not that way anymore. That bears fruit. And I just pray that you'd say, Lord, I want to be the real deal. I want to be the real deal. That's what Lisa's doing to go out in the mission field. She's being the real deal. She wants to put God's word in people's hands. That's what Dustin's doing there with Awana's, wanting to... Hide the word of God in those children's hearts. That's what our elders and our teachers and our, our leaders here in the church are doing. They want to be the real deal, authentic. It's easy to play church. It's easy to have a temple that looks like everything's good till you get inside and it's full of all kinds of things. Shouldn't be in there. Not a lot of people here tonight. But I would rather have just the number we have here tonight that'll say, Jesus, I'll be the real deal. Whatever strength you give me, I'm going to follow you with all my heart because I want to be an authentic Christian. And if you come in the temple of my heart, I want you to be pleased that it's a house of worship. I'll take that any day. Joel, as you come and get your, your guys ready to lead us in our closing and, and for communion, and Steve, you get ready. 
Um, communion. Tommy said something right this morning, if you were in that service. We call it oftentimes the Last Supper. It really is not the Last Supper. It was the last Passover, and it was the first of the Lord's Supper. He told his disciples that night, and do you remember what happened? They came into that upper room, and Jesus took off his clothes of a rabbi, the Jewish teacher, and he put on a, a towel of a servant. The lowest servant in the house is the one that should have washed everyone's feet in Israel. But the disciples walked in there. Peter didn't volunteer, and John didn't volunteer, and James didn't volunteer. Jesus took off his robe, put on the towel of a servant, and he bent, bent down with that basin, and he washed the disciples' feet, showing you want to be a real, authentic Christian? Jesus said, you want to be the greatest? The greatest among you will be servant of all. And that night, he said, as he gave them the cup and the bread that we're about to partake of in just a moment, he said, I will not eat of this food or drink of the fruit of the vine again with you until we eat it and drink it new in my Father's kingdom. There's going to be something called the marriage supper of the Lamb. I went yesterday, my nephew got married, and boy, at the reception, I'm still full from all the food that they had, but that's going to be nothing compared to that marriage supper when Jesus and his church are finally joined together in heaven forever. Communion is a preview. We're going to do something that the Bible says in, in Corinthians. The Bible says to examine your heart before, uh, as I talk about that, if you have not gotten uh, one of the, some of the elements, men are right here, raise your hand. They'll bring some to you right now. I do not have one, Steve, so would you also give me one, please? Thank you, sir. Please get one of these that we will celebrate what Jesus did with the disciples that night. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, I received from the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. He took bread and he gave it to his disciples and he broke it and said, this is my body which is given for you. Now he had taught them in his doctrine that he was the true bread which came down from heaven. Not like the manna of the Old Testament, but he was true bread. He said, if you eat of this bread, you can live forever. He was talking about eternal life. And then later he was going to take the cup and he had taught them in his doctrine, there's no forgiveness of sins unless there's shedding of blood. Well, you and I could have shed our blood but it wasn't good enough. It had to be blood that was perfect. And Jesus shed his blood to pay the price for your sin and mine. So as you're served these elements and we partake of them here tonight, the bread and the cup, just like Jesus did with his disciples, the Apostle Paul says we need to examine our hearts first. So I'm going to ask you in a few moments of silent prayer, would you look at your heart and I will mine? And let's ask God that we would not come to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. You may be a Christian here tonight, but you're not a member of Denton Bible. That doesn't make any difference. If you're a brother or sister in Christ, we invite you to partake with us. If you are not a Christian here tonight, please don't partake of communion. It's for believers. And if you want to talk with us about becoming a believer after the service, we'd love to do that. Bow with me for a few moments of silent prayer. And would you ask God to bless this bread and this cup? personally. Let's pray.
And now, Father, we ask you if there be anything in any heart that we would bring to this communion table in an unworthy manner, please forgive us. Please take it out of our lives. And would you now bless this bread and this cup. We pray in Jesus' name.